Just a quick heads up, the people I talk to in this podcast have gone through major changes and challenges in their lives. So on occasion, there will be very explicit language and content. You have been warned. What's the wheelchair driver in the jungle? I don't know. What is the wheelchair driver in the jungle? Food on wheels. <laughs> This is Changed, the podcast about life's unexpected events and how we deal with them. People want to help you, which is nice, but they really don't know how to help you and they don't listen to you. They just, ah, okay, look, there is a wheelchair driver. Take my jacket, please. Um, I'm going to lift him up. And I say, stop, don't lift me up. It's dangerous. I know how to go up the pavement. If you lift me, I would fall out. And they just, they don't listen to you. So you really need to um, have a strong voice and say, stop. So where is the line for you between dependence and independence? Right now, you are still somewhat dependent on others, right? Um, the problem is I needed to go back to my parents after the hospital because my old flat was not, it's not wheelchair friendly. And so, yeah, but in a month, I try to, to get a next flat. But in the end, for all the people around me, it was even worse than for me. It's, I don't know, because people have in their brains, they think, oh, fuck, he's paralyzed. A little over a year ago, on one of those incredibly hot summer days in Germany, Julian and his friends went to the lake after partying at his apartment. That night, while running into the lake, Julian broke several vertebrae in his neck. Everybody went in the water, I as well somehow, and next thing is me... Uh, lying on the surface and yeah just don't feel my body anymore actually the first thing was me trying to to scream help it was like help help yeah so so they were like just laughing ha 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 look at him he's making fun and after 10 minutes they realized okay maybe something really went wrong julian is rushed to the nearby hospital during the ride he shifts in and out of consciousness so in the next thing i remember waking up uh, on a really hard bench doctors watching in my eyes and saying okay Mr. Bleacher you had a bad accident and uh, we're gonna cut your neck and uh, change the bones like the cervicalis bones so I was said like okay two days later I woke up and my parents sitting next to me and I was like oh look at me I can still move my arms how were you so calm about this I mean I can't even imagine what that must be like One minute you're able to walk and run and swim and the next moment you're not able to move most of your body. That must have been a shock for you, at least initially. I mean, first, you don't realize what really happened. And second, I mean, if your family is around you, you don't say like, uh, oh, I'm so bad and stuff. So you try to... To, to protect them? Yeah, maybe maybe to protect them, yeah. But for them as well, so they were not crying, they were just sitting there watching, staring at me. During the first few days, Julian and his parents are hopeful. Maybe the disability won't be permanent after all. 
Then the doctor has a long talk with Julian. The spinal cord injury is too severe and will be permanent. So when they said this to me, I was like, okay, you're never gonna lose hope, but just think in the moment where you are and just um, yeah, adapt to this because it's it's not my uh, way to just hope and wait and do nothing. So I just do what I can do now, but yeah, hope is never dying. You know, when I met you for the first time, you had been in the hospital for a few weeks and I think everything was still very new for you. I remember you struggling to hold a fork or get out of bed. And you know what struck me was how positive you were. Always smiling, always flirting with the nurses. It it was kind of a process. Like, it's such a funny story. The physiotherapist in Heidelberg, the place where I was in the hospital, like one said, uh, yeah, the, all the people say you, you don't realize it and because they see you always uh, driving around with a smiling and they say, oh, look at this guy, he's... He's not getting into it and stuff. And I was like, really, oh, come on, what do you want from me? Even two, three months after my accident, I said, this guy will have a deep hole later because uh, he's not realizing at the moment what happened to him. But I kind of did, but it didn't depress me. Okay, I have to admit, I was thinking pretty much the same thing back then, which I now realize is pretty silly. But there were several people at that hospital who had pretty much given up on life or had a very negative outlook on it. Do you have any idea why you didn't fall into the depression that everyone was expecting from you? Yeah, I saw some people, but really few, being unhappy. But um, people who were unhappy before, they have been in a chair, I'm sure. And yeah, they they just have their small horizon and they try to tell okay there's not much to do anymore in life so it's it was a process but i always thought about things i still can do and um, i was surrounded by really great people as well i need to say this it was a big impact uh, people who've been in wheelchairs for years or good friends they just came to visit me like from whole europe how do you talk to your friends about your disability do they ask you about it or do you have to break the ice? I had not a single case where somebody said to me, okay, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Or, And as well, they said to me how I treat the situation. It's really easy for them to, to hang out with me because, you know, I, I really tell them what's going on. Like, uh, okay, I can't do this because of the wheelchair or um, they have questions. I answer them and um, there is no taboos or stuff. So... Really? None whatsoever. That's so, so funny. There were two persons asking me about my sexual function after my accident, but really like two weeks after it happened. Wow, that must have been very important to them. Who asked you that? So it was a friend of mine, like a really close friend, and he's, um, let's say, really busy with women. And um, yeah, for sure, for him, it matters. And the second person, my boss. And at the hospital, did the doctors talk to you about sex and your physical possibilities to be intimate with a woman? Yeah, but that was really um, not very helpful. Most I heard was from um, older people who are experienced, like 10, 20 years in the chair. They gave me just the inspiration to say, hey, it's not over. There are still possibilities. And then 
the rest is coming up by your imagination. Also, I think I'm not that shy anymore I was before because I say, what do I have to lose? Just go to girls, talk to them. <laughs> really? Wow. That's a huge challenge for most able-bodied people. Yeah, um, I even had a date at my rehab place, like after the hospital. Yeah, I just texted a girl uh, in the internet. Yeah, I can be honest, it was Tinder. <laughs> and we texted and um, the second, third time we we had a conversation. I like put it cards on the table. I said, okay, I'm sitting in a wheelchair for the moment because um, I had this accident. And she was like, oh, but I'm surprised how positive you are. Let's meet. So then she came there to visit me. And yeah, it was nice. We went out in the city center, had um, ice cream. So can you tell me what physical limitations you have now besides not being able to get up and walk? People look at you and, oh, he cannot move his feet and his legs in the end uh, underneath my nipples I can't move anything and um, that's still really huge difference if it's just the legs or more of your body basically every muscle underneath your your injury is not working that means your bladder your intestine it's not working so nobody knows that so you don't go to the toilet like a normal person you need some help gadgets to do that And you really, um, because you have no control, you really need to like uh, calculate when you need to go to the toilet. When Julian is released from the hospital after almost a year, he moves back in with his parents. For a 23-year-old who loved his independence and had been living abroad for a semester, this was a huge challenge. And for his parents as well. None of them really know how to deal with this situation. Julian just wants to live his life and move on. For his parents... It's a whole different story. They are super, super worried. They think they need to do everything for me. Like they ask me, do you need to go to the toilet? Do you want to eat now? And that's really, that really sucks. It's too much. Well, in a certain way, I can understand their feelings and their attitude. And yeah, but they should see that I can handle the situation. I noticed that your mother in particular has a very hard time coming to terms with your accident. When I met her in the hospital, she was understandably devastated. But it seems that even now she's really struggling. So on top of getting used to everything yourself, how do you handle this grief from your parents? I don't know. Sometimes I really get sad and I say to myself, come on, why... Like, couldn't you avoid that to get in such a situation, to have the accident? Because, yeah, my parents have lots more problems with that than me. So I don't know how many liters of tears she cried out the last year. But, um, yeah, I try to talk to her in a good way to say, hey, mom, it's all right. I can do all the stuff I want. But, you know, that's her personality. She's always was a bit melancholic and um, yeah she she cried a hundred times before like uh, first time I moved out or when I did some big journeys like after uh, receiving a level I went to Canada for two months and that was really hard for her to say goodbye to me <laughs> so she needs to learn to let go of you again yeah 
So you told me you want to go back to university soon. And do you think things will get better once you move out and she realizes that you can survive on your own? Yeah, in the beginning, I know it's going to be horrible. Like she will call me five times a day. And as I had it already that I moved out from home, I know that. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of prepared. But yeah, that's always hard stuff with your parents. Yeah, and you're not really one for slow transitions, as I've heard. She told me that a few days after you came home, you went camping with your friends. Is that true? Yeah. Ten days after I left hospital, four friends took me to a festival. I really love camping. And um, then in hospital, there was a time where I thought, okay, man, that's over. You're never going to camp somewhere. But you did. And so you just went and nobody had a problem with that? Yeah, uh, my parents and the nurses taking care of me and uh, everybody around me was super scared and super uh, worried like, oh, are you crazy? You need to sleep in a bed and that's not possible to camp. And uh, I just did it and everything worked so good. What we did was like all my friends were pushing me uh, through the crowd. So one was working in the front and... Um, was like saying, hey, hey, go away, go away. We need space. So um, they pushed me like really in the middle. One went to the left, to the right. Uh, they took my arms, went with their heads under my shoulder. And one, two, three, they, they lifted me up. And I saw the crowd, the head of the crowd. It was so nice. And yeah, then like for a minute, we tried to move like hell, dancing, standing. And then, yeah, they sit me back and I already found some really great moves in a chair. So what's the next thing you are going to tackle? Oh, pretty much everything I did before. Skiing was my favorite hobby and I saw people doing it in a chair, like sitting on a ski and going down the slopes without their legs and that's amazing. I know I can do it so. And I started doing a pilot license for gliders and it's still possible in a wheelchair so I'm gonna do that you know um, I thought about many moments um, where the wheelchair really would disable me but then if you look other persons they have other problems why they can't um, do stuff like going up the mountain because they are afraid of heights and I can just take a paraglider and fly above the mountains and see the beauty of nature again. The semester starts again soon at the end of October. And you said that you want to continue to study mechanical engineering and then get into a master's program. I know it's still far away, but have you thought about what you might do after university? Found a startup, help people in poor countries to have still a great life in a wheelchair. Like there was this one earthquake in Nepal And, um, you know, the medical support there is really bad. So um, I think there you can do a lot of stuff to help the people there. I don't know, buy old wheelchairs here for for really less money and bring it there or just go there and tell the people about your experience, what you still can do. And yeah, there's so much to do in this world. And your outlook on life, how has that changed since the accident? You talked about dating. Is there any other aspect of your life that you approach differently now? 
Yeah, in normal life you have this peer pressure. Okay, I need to earn money. Okay, I need to do this. I need to do this. And now that's totally gone. So I just, I give a shit on everything. I just live my life how I always wanted it. And uh, still with my small functions, like my arms and my shoulders can push me through my whole life and I can do everything. So it's, it's really cool. Since our interview, Julian has bought a car that has been rebuilt to fit his needs, so he doesn't have to rely on his parents anymore for rides. He has found an apartment on campus that is wheelchair-friendly, and he's currently packing up his things to move. And he went skydiving. When I asked him why, he said, because he always wanted to try that. You can check out the pictures on the website www.changedpod.com. This podcast is produced by me, Julia Zipfel. The theme music is The Light by Ashwan. Thank you for listening and I hope you tune in again next time. <laughs>